of aviation. My name is Dave Keating. I'm a journalist based here in Brussels. I'm going to be guiding us through today's conversation, uh, both for people here in the room and for those of you joining online, streaming here from the Euractive Studios in the heart of the EU quarter. Now, as the EU continues its efforts to reduce carbon emissions, aviation has been in focus. According to the EU's Sustainable and Smart Mobility Strategy, the gradual change and modernization of European transportation should give way to a really fundamental transformation that is really supposed to tackle the growing emissions from transport. Now, aviation is often labeled as a hard-to-abate industry, primarily because of the technological limitations that make it difficult to directly reduce carbon emissions. The recently adopted EU policy measures and regulations as part of the Fit for 55 package are intended to make transport more sustainable, but aviation is the trickiest out of the various modes of transport. Uh, now, in the absence of revolutionary net zero aviation fuel, which of course we know with sustainable aviation fuels, they're being developed, people are looking at that, but they haven't yet found that holy grail, that silver bullet that will get us to long haul aviation uh, with less emissions. So the aviation sector is facing a really monumental task with being tasked to reduce their emissions, but not yet having the available technology to really get there in the same way that other transport modes have. Now currently, one of the largest infrastructure projects in Europe is being built in Poland. It's the CPK project, and it's a planned multimodal transport and interchange hub that will integrate air, rail, and road transport in the region. So how is this relevant to the EU efforts to reduce emissions? Well, as part of the project, the new airport and a major rail hub will be built in the center of Poland, connecting CPK with the rest of the country and other European countries via newly constructed high-speed railway lines. So this is very much in line with what the EU has envisioned for multimodal transport, switching from trains, planes, cars, automobiles in the most efficient way that is both efficient for the production of emissions and efficient for people's time. The goal is to make CPK the first net zero ready airport in the region upon its inauguration. And this undertaking also is trying to set new standards for green airports globally to serve as a kind of inspiration. So today we're going to talk about that project and how it fits into the EU's larger emission reduction goals. While a lot of focus has been on flying itself, what role will airports and their surrounding infrastructure have in the EU's decarbonization? To get us started, we're going to start with a presentation of CPK Airport and its sustainable airport strategy from Jakob Lok, who is Airport Division Acting Director at CPK. Uh, before Jakob speaks, here's a short video explaining the project. Tak będzie wyglądał centralny port komunikacyjny. Jedna z największych inwestycji infrastrukturalnych w Europie. Nowe lotnisko i 2000 km nowych linii kolejowych. Unia Europejska już dofinansowała trasę między Warszawą a Łodzią oraz tunel kolei dużych prędkości. Prace przy budowie CPK ruszyły. Podróżuj szybko i wygodnie. Prosto do celu. CPK. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Dave. I, actually, you said everything about the project already in one sentence. So <laughs> yes, uh, CPK will be the 
state-of-the-art new multimodal <coughs> hub in the central Poland. And this sustainability approach is something which lies in the hearts from the beginning of the project. Um, when we have started uh, master planning two years ago, that was our first decision. We will be net zero ready when we'll be opening the airport. As Dave mentioned, this is the three main pillars, road, rails, and the airport, not forgetting the aerotropolis. This approach makes us open for new technologies in the rail, in new technologies in the airport, but most of that, taking the all passengers to one place when the station, the new station, railway station, will become heart of the whole Polish national network. There will be over 2,000 kilometers newly built railways, which will bring our passengers to the terminal, to the airport, and because of that will lower the uh, carbon emissions. Not mentioning that this region, it's also uh, not only Poland, but uh, we aim to combine the airport and Polish railway networks to TNT network. And that will open a Polish airport for passengers and for freight to the other countries in the Central European region. The location of the airport, as they've mentioned, central of the Poland, is in the middle of two biggest uh, areas, Warsaw Mazovian re region and Łódź region, which contributes to one-third of Polish GDP. And the area inhabitants are over 8 million people. So that is a main point, not only to become a hub for transportation, but also to accelerate the development of that region, Poland, and CE region, of course. Having possibility of totally new airport, we, of course, developing it sustainably, but developing it not for now, not for the 40 million passengers we hope to open uh, in the next few years. We're aiming to have that possibility to grow to 65 million passengers yearly 30 years after the opening. But the planning we're doing at the moment is to grow even possibly to 100 million passengers a year. And this is all, again, sustainable growth. The EIA process we have carried out took us over two years to make sure that the impact on the environment and the local inhabitants are minimum as possible. As I mentioned, the project started quite recently. To late of 2020, you have signed several contracts to start producing the EIA analysis, to start making master planning. At the moment, we already receive environmental decision, and we have finalized concept design for the terminal. We are now in the process of obtaining location decisions and the building permits next year. Uh, this seems uh, very fast, and Yes, uh, it is, but we have gathered the best Polish staff in our, in our company, 
and as you can see we are uh, combined with uh, world-class experts to help us doing this project on time and sustainable. Talking about the strategy itself, uh, this, as I mentioned before, the sustainable development strategy was uh, at the heart of the beginning of this project. This is our one of the three pillars we have built uh, the master planning and now we're building the design. Uh, the strategy for the multimodality, the strategy for the aviation and of course the strategy of the sustainable development. The, the approach we, we took was to, to map EU goals and to follow as much as possible uh, of this development we have adopted 12 um, strategic goals, five environmental, five socio-economical, and two are regarding both of that areas. As, as an example, uh, which already has been mentioned, through the generation of the location and building the aerotropolis around the airport, we are generating a possibility to grow the small and medium enterprises in nearby. And two, two other steps, uh, something strategic. Strategic for the newly built airport, newly designed airport, uh, is to obtain the BREEAM certification. This is uh, unique and something we wish to um, build on is that we don't, need to we don't need to rely on the constructions for 30, 40 years ago. We can plan and design everything according to the sustainable standards. That's why we will be uh, certified for the BREAM during the design and construction. And that's, all, that's not over, of course, the, the current uh, airports, and that's also our, our goal is to be accredited for the, I always lost this word, airport carbon accreditation, sorry for that. And that we are planning to start gradually. Of course, for the newly open airport, for the airport which already will be designed as a green, it will be totally different approach. It will be gradually finding when we can be better. It's not like for the existing airports, which has a huge work to be done to be accredited. We will be already passing that through the design phase, but we will not forget that we'll be accrediting ourselves and we want to achieve level three during first five years. And some more details about that. Sustainable energy. Uh, we are going to be net zero as uh, for the opening, net zero ready, which means we'll be using the solar power, we'll be using uh, geothermal power, we're planning to uh, go for so-called ambient loop in the cooling and heating system. This is fifth generation of the systems we're planning to use for the whole airport. Uh, for the noise reduction, uh, there was, uh, as I mentioned, huge EIA report prepared. Uh, several modeling of the noise uh, propagation was done. And based on that, we are going to be as much as possible noise, uh, minimizing the noise. If, and um, 
other examples. Uh, you, you can find all these details. There, there are leaflets about our sustainable journey, um, but some more examples, water management, sustainable water management. Uh, the water in that area is, uh, is uh, something, I would say not scarce, but we have issued that in the, uh, in the, the winter there is a little water, groundwater, in the summer when there are uh, some storms, uh, there are some floods, local floods. So from the day of design again, we are planning to use as little water as possible, reuse as much as possible, uh, but also harvest rainwater and keep it for technological, for firefighting or for uh, domestic things. So that's basically it. Uh, in the first uh, short glance, uh, if you have more questions, we can talk uh, during the uh, panel. But uh, before I go, just I will invite you for uh, a minute, two minutes uh, movie, which you will probably hear the same what I just said in more nicely manner. So thank you very much and uh, talk to you later. Thanks very much, Jakob, for that presentation. Now, the flag carrier Poland, Lotz, uh, is also involved in this project. So next we're going to hear a presentation from Anna Klos-Goska, Goska, is Environmental Protection Department Manager in the Fuel Office at Lotz Polish Airlines. And before Anna speaks, we're going to see another short video. Anna?
It's who you travel with. Lot Polish Airlines. So good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Dave, for your introduction. Uh, the main measures to achieve net zero by 2050 include sustainable aviation fuel, carbon capture offset projects, improvements in fuel efficiency and flight operations. Although many of these solutions requires technological changes that are not yet available, a lot is already taking active steps uh, during decarbonization, and you can see it for yourself in our short film. So enjoy the watching another film. <laughs> We are implementing the Destination Eco program that aims to reduce carbon dioxide emissions and consequently protect the natural environment. As a responsible airline, we strive to minimize the impact of our operations on the environment. Our flagship project involves restoring the habitats of the common crane in Poland. We constantly modernize our fleet, boasting some of the youngest aircraft in Europe. Compared to older generation planes, they emit significantly less noise and are made of lightweight components, reducing their weight and resulting in lower fuel consumption and emissions. We take actions to enhance fuel efficiency by carefully planning flight routes and reducing the amount of fuel carried by optimizing routes, thus reducing the aircraft's weight. Our efforts also extend to ground operations, such as taxiing on a single engine after landing and minimizing the use of the APU, auxiliary power unit, after landing and during ground stops. We minimize the use of plastic products by introducing new, reusable Luran containers wooden cutlery and biodegradable packaging for headphones. Lot Polish Airlines. Caring for tomorrow. Okay, thank you. So let's go to the presentation. Uh, okay. Uh, we achieve lower emissions not only through our modern fleet, but also by improving our operations. Atlot was formed a um, fuel committee to bring together all stakeholders like pilots, cabin crew, um, ground handling and procurement team in one common goal to implement initiatives and so uh, solutions to improve fuel efficiency. Uh, we have been able to introduce some specific initiatives to reduce emissions, some of which are quite simple to implement like taxing on a one engine after landing or limiting APU use. Uh, some, on the other hand, are uh, more challenging. Uh, the concept of fuel efficiency often implies interference with operational procedures, which must be accepted by civil aviation authority. And this increases implementation time and requires inclusion of safety matters. And here is an example. Uh, this year, for the first time, a lot flew from Narita to Warsaw via North Pole, and such a solution uh, reduces travel time by uh, one and a half an hour, uh, which uh, allows a reduction of 24 tons of CO2 on each flight. Uh, preparation for the implementation of such an operation preceded several months of work, because new procedures had to be prepared, uh, flight dispatchers, pilots and cabin crew members had to be trained. 
but Lot once again uh, returns to the ranks of a few airlines with the ability to perform polar operations. And the next slide. Uh, Lot is taking a proactive approach in the field of sustainable aviation fuel. Not only SAF refueling is important, but scale up of the production, ensuring safety and continuity of flight operations are the key. Uh, which why we signed a letter of intent with Orlen to support production uh, SAF in Poland. Uh, we are also a member of a renewable and low carbon value chain industrial alliance and fuel data standard group. And something about environmental initiatives. Uh, we implement the Destination Eco program, which primary goal is to reduce CO2 emission and protect the environment. We enable our customers to uh, voluntarily support our, our program and appreciate our passengers' um, commitment to environmentally conscious decisions. Uh, in September last year, we joined the IATA Environmental Assessment. We are implementing environmental norms and practices in accordance with IATA standards. We are also have an uh, environmental policy which is our commitment to continuous uh, Im improvement in um, environment as, and sustainability uh, activities. Uh, is it, it is important to remember that uh, sustainability is not only about environment. Uh, we are actively involved in social matters and uh, LOT has an inclusive employment policy open to gender balance and diversity. Uh, which is why we joined the IATA 25 by 2025, um, which, aim, uh, increase, um, which aims to increase women's participation in all areas of aviation. Uh, LOT as a company aware of existing threats connected to international transport has introduced a specific procedure to human trafficking. Um, and we carry out the Wings of Life project uh, helping uh, children suffering from cancer to travel for medical or preventive purposes. And about governance, a uh, lot responsibly manages the risk related to its operations by introduction of information, security policies, cyber security, and uh, regular training of cabin crew members and pilots. We are, we are um, we care about the ethical side of uh, our operations through the code of conduct and code of competition. We also take action in prevention of corruption and conflicts of interest. A uh, lot provides employees and external entities with the right to uh, anonymously report uh, any possible violations. Uh, we create whistleblowing program to um, protect so-called whistleblowers against disclosing their identities and against possible retaliation. And in the summary, I would like to say that Lot Polish Airlines is committed to take care of environment, social matters and governance while in the air and on the ground. And here is our QR code which uh, take you to our website dedicated environmental initiatives. So thank you very much for your attention. <laughs>
Now we're going to move on to the panel. I'd like to welcome the panelists here to the stage. You can use the step that's over there. It's the easiest way to get up. So let me introduce our panelists to you now. So we have Jakob Bloch, who you already heard from, the Airport Division Acting Director at CPK. Then we have Robert Ludera, Network and Alliances Director at LOT, Polish Airlines. We have Andrew Matters, Director of Policy and Economics uh, and SNE Policy and Standards at the International Air Transport Association, IATA, IATA. Then we have Olivier Jankovic, who is Director General at the Airports Council International Europe, ACI Europe. And finally, we have <clears throat> Dominic Piotrowski, Deputy Head of Units for Aviation Policy at the European Commission's Transport Department. Thank you so much to everyone for joining us today. Jakob, I wanted to start with a question for you, specifically about the environmental impact assessment um, that was conducted. Um, so you mentioned in your presentation that um, actually for a, a newer airport, these things are a bit easier than for an existing airport, right? So how did the EIA prepared in Poland for this project differ from EIAs for other projects? And did it also include to mitigate adverse effects from the construction of the airport, uh, possible effects to local ecosystems, um, or any other environmental impacts? Absolutely, yes. Well, uh, first of all, EIA is not, not, not easy, never. <laughs> Secondly, the, the EIA process we took for the CPK is exactly the same as for any other investment in Poland uh, or Europe. We, we follow the same rules, the same standards. Uh, the something uh, which may be unique is that we took slightly different approach when we were choosing the location. The, the EIA was two steps. First, based on the uh, business transport, but uh, most uh, 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 environmental issues, we have been choosing area where the location of the airport would be best, but at the same time, uh, less impacting the environment. And in the second step, when we have chosen that location, we have uh, followed the, the, the very detail. It was a year and a half of investigation for the species. And um, as I mentioned, noise modeling, but also groundwater modeling, this all has been done uh, by world-class specialists and Polish high, high staff. Uh, so it wasn't different in terms of the, the procedure, I would say it was uh, slightly different in terms of the effort we have uh, put forward and some innovative approach for, for, for this to, to be uh, as, mass, uh, as much possibly uh, not impacting the environment. Thanks, Jakob. I forgot to mention, actually, so you guys in the audience will be able to ask your questions to the panelists. In particular, if you have questions about the project, uh, you can put them in using Slido, and I'll ask them to the panelists. If they're questions specific to the project, I'll ask Jakob. If they're questions specific to the subject in general, I'll ask the other panelists. You'll see a QR code there on the screen. You can scan that. It's also on that piece of paper on the wall. And if you're watching online, you'll see next to your screen where you can put in your questions. You can go ahead and put those in now, and I'll ask them to the panelists a little later. So Robert, uh, I mentioned that you know, when we're talking about reducing aviation emissions, so much of the focus is on airlines. But also airlines are looking at airports to help them out right, with uh, emissions reduction. So uh, how significant is it for airlines to operate from zero emission airports specifically? Good morning, everyone. And thank you for this question. Definitely, it's becoming more and more significant to operate from and to airports 
that actively uh, contribute, that, that think uh, very carefully about uh, their contribution to net zero targets of, of industry. Um, our passengers, our business, business partners, authorities expect it from, from airlines to, to, to take active part in that. That's why airlines also require it from our airport partners to, to pay attention to, this, to these aspects. Uh, it is important not only for airlines, but I think it is crucial, it is critically important for all the stakeholders to take uh, active part in, uh, in that contribution. Um, authorities, uh, business uh, people, uh, airports, airlines, everyone has to take uh, their, uh, their part in this contribution. Everyone must be individual in, uh, individually responsible for, for contributing to net zero targets of, of the industry. This is why it is um, especially um, valuable, we, we value very much uh, that, that our new airport partner, CPK, uh, takes so seriously these ambitions of, of being net zero ready already at the first day of their operations. And uh, this, this is why we very much expect and hope that their plans, their ambitions will end up in, uh, in having um, a sustain, sustainable, uh, efficient and hopefully also affordable airport for the airline community. So, Robert, uh, Anam in her presentation mentioned some of the initiatives that LOT is participating in um, for, with IATA. Um, what sustainability initiatives and programs has IATA introduced to promote environmental responsibility within the aviation industry? Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Andrew, Andrew I said Robert. Andrew. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Uh, no, no problem. Um, I think most people in the room will be familiar with, with IATA, but if I could just start there very quickly, you know, IATA is the industry association for the world's airlines. So we bring a global perspective. We have 300 members globally, covering around 80% of, of total traffic. So that's the perspective that, that we bring to the issue of, of sustainability. And at the core of our sustainability work at the moment is, is the industry's commitment to net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Um, that's key. We can talk a little bit more about, about that later perhaps, um, but you know, associated with that, we, we've got a range of, of training and development opportunities. We're involved in, in various industry, ICAO working groups that are, are trying to develop the standards, the policies that are going to help us to get to that uh, very challenging goal by 2050. Um, SAF accounting, uh, a global SAF accounting approach is, is, is one of those. Um, but I think it's, it's really important to remember that while the focus in aviation at the moment is around decarbonising the industry, sustainability is, is very much uh, a broader topic than that. So, you know, it, it covers the, the noise and local air quality issues that we've spoken about previously. It covers the human and wildlife trafficking aspects, single-use plastics, um, cabin waste, all, all of those kinds of things are part of the sustainability uh, issue uh, and IATA are actively engaging on those, not just at a global level uh, but also at a regional and, and even a, a national level. Um, so for example we have a very active office here in, in Brussels for example. Um, the other thing to note is that given the breadth of these sustainability activities, it's not just the sustainability team within IATA that's working on these issues. You know, these are covering uh, is issues involving our operations teams, involving our 
airports and infrastructure development teams as well. So it's, it's across the organisation uh, we're very actively engaging on all these issues. So that's the perspective from the airplanes. How about the airports? Uh, Olivier, what sustainability commitments has ACI made in this area and, and also particularly to encourage its member airports to prioritize environmental responsibility? Thank you, Dave, for the question, and it's a pleasure to be here, obviously, with CPK, who's a member of our organization. Uh, good to see you, Jakob. Um, I think, I think the, the departing point for us is that actually environmental management has been part of airport management for decades, um, you know, focusing mainly on the local impacts like noise, waste management, water management, circular economy, and all these things. And there's a wealth of expertise that airports have developed over the years because, of course, airports are keen to facilitate local economic development. But as mentioned uh, by Jacob in his presentation, and I like the term very much, we, we need to be good neighbors. So we need to monitor and mitigate our impact on the local environment. And we're very much in focus of the local communities about that. So we carry a huge responsibility. So as ACI, of course, we've accompanied that for many years. Uh, we, we produce guidance, uh, we do benchmark, uh, we, we set standards that our members follow. But I think that the big evolution has been the fact that over the last 15 years, airports have moved to address not just the local impact, but the global environmental impact that is climate change. And that was new. And um, when we looked at that as ACI, what we could do to help our members doing that Initially, we thought, let's set the target for CO2 reductions uh, at airports across Europe. That was 15 years ago. And, uh, but quickly, we realized that uh, the degree of maturity amongst airports to this issue was very diverse, that across 500 airport membership, you know, we would spend too much time trying to set a common target. And we thought, let's do something much more concrete, actually. Um, realizing that actually there was a lack of expertise in the airports about how to manage CO2 reductions because this was a new issue. So we thought let's, let's develop actually a toolbox, a, toolbox a, a guidance for our members uh, to concretely allow them to work based on common principles on reducing their carbon emissions. And that's what we've been doing by developing airport carbon accreditation, the, the program that Jacob referred to in, in his presentation. Uh, that's something we develop um, without reinventing the wheel. We, we basically took existing standards from other sectors developed by the World Resource Institute, the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, and we adapted those standards to the unique environment that is an airport. And that resulted in a program that certifies airports at every critical step of carbon management, from the very basics, how to do, a carbon mapping, how to map your carbon emissions when you're an airport, what do you include in that, all the way to reducing over time your carbon emissions to achieve carbon neutrality, so what offsets can you use, to what extent you can use offsets, and then ultimately also certifying airports that are um, following a carbon reduction pathways that is fully aligned with the Paris Agreement. Uh, we launched this program back in 2009 uh, where clearly climate change was not the overriding existential threat it is today. I mean, it was, but we didn't know <laughs> probably at the time. Um, we started with seven air 17 airports certified in Europe, and today we are at more than 280 airports across Europe certified. All the major hubs are certified under this program. 
we work closely uh, on this program with the UNFCCC, with ICAO, with DG Clima. They sit on the advisory board of the program. They validate the annual report. And I think there's been a very concrete thing that has allowed really the carbon, the, the airport industry to embrace carbon management. In addition to that, in 2019, we came up with an ACI Europe commitment for the airport industry to achieve net zero carbon emission by 2050. We were not satisfied by just committing ourselves as an organization on behalf of our members. What we did, we also asked our members to undersign individually this commitment to create a sense of responsibility down to the level of those members directly within their organization. And today we have, I think, more than 350 airports across Europe that have undersigned that commitment. We're tracking progress every year. So every year we report progress, we check who's still committed, uh, and uh, what we've seen is that many airports have actually advanced the target date uh, well before 2050, which is very encouraging. We have actually already some airports that have achieved net zero. Ten airports in Sweden are net zero today. We'll have more as of next year. And we have actually 130 airports, I think, across Europe that are committed to achieve net zero already by 2030. So I think for those emissions that are under our control as airports, I think we have a pretty good track record of action so far. Yeah, and it's an interesting point about the airports really starting from different starting points here, that it's a diverse mix of airports. Uh, Dominic, so I mentioned the EU regulatory efforts to tackle aviation emissions. Just some examples are the revision of the ETS is trying to better incorporate aviation emissions, mandatory use of SAFs, uh, taxing aviation fuel. There's been a variety of efforts in this term. We're coming to the end of this term. We're going to be starting a new legislative term next year. Um, so where are we right now in terms of the regulatory framework for aviation, and where might we progress to in the next term if you had a crystal ball? Oh, th thanks very much for that, uh, Dave. I think, you know, sort of your question highlights that we've been already fairly busy in the last five years in the Commission, and, you know, the, uh, my colleagues here can, can also um, testify to that because they, you know, their involvement in the process has been uh, essential uh, and, and very much appreciated. Um, I think to know, in a way, where we are and where we're heading from, from now, I think it's important to look at the, at the past, uh, so indeed the, five, uh, the last five years. And they have been very much marked by the Green Deal agenda, uh, the need to decarbonize in, in, in view of the societal, political expectation and predominantly because of science that tells us that unless we do something extremely decisive, our planet will just melt. So I think, you know, this is, this is, this is it. And, and in this respect, this is really important to, to, to note. I would also like to, 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 to see that, you know, probably if we had met, if we were to meet here 10 years ago, we would be saying like, oh, aviation is only responsible for 2 or 3% of the emissions, maybe other sectors can do better, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's none of these talks now. I mean, we have heard in presentations both from CPK and from LOT and from my fellow panelists here how serious the industry is about decarbonization. Huh? And I think this is really uh, something to be, um, uh, to be applauded. And in the last five years, the Commission's effort and the effort of the EU has been indeed to provide the right regulatory framework for all these efforts to be, to be, um, uh, to be implemented in a longer uh, term. So the Green Deal agenda has been driven by a certain number of principles. Uh, first of all, we needed, by, by foremost, we needed to put something which is effective in addressing the problem. Uh, the problem really being the, uh, the, the emissions from, uh, from aviation. So something that can indeed bring us into the 
uh, net zero by, by, by 2050 and indeed something that can uh, address the, uh, especially the climate, uh, the climate uh, externalities but also uh, environmental uh, externalities. Something, you know, to have, as, as it is very often says, said, the license to grow, uh, for the aviation to be, to be regained. The second element is indeed the predictability. Because I think one of the worst things for any industry is just if there are lots of ideas popping up, but it is uncertain into which direction the regulatory framework will go. So we've heard for years that there are sustainable aviation fuels, they have a potential to decarbonize, they are already existing, etc. But nobody really wanted to invest money into this because they didn't know where, where the regulatory direction will go. Huh? And with this, with this Green Deal and Fit for 55, this regulatory um, uh, uh, certainty has been, has been injected. Um, second thing, and there's no coincidence probably that we meet here in Brussels uh, to discuss sustainability of aviation because this is such a European business. Huh? I mean, EU aviation single market, I think, is a shining example of how Europe can really work. And that's why we needed to find solutions at the European level. That's why we've got the Green Deal, we've got Fit for 55 that really embraces this pan-European approach. And makes sure that everybody can decarbonize together and then uh, there are no sort of national national approaches here that, that effectively wouldn't uh, wouldn't work huh? we then another aspect of this green deal is to be able to extrapolate this this pan-european approach and us staying together and really decarbonizing together on a global level and they're reaching out to our international partners either through multilateral fora like ICAO or through bilateral relations huh? And last and, and, and very important is just because, because we do not have the crystal ball and to some extent we do not know where the technology will go, we can see where it will go, but we don't know when exactly uh, it will go. We need to have the approach that is both catering for both relatively short term, like for example on sustainable aviation fuels, and is also looking a bit more into the future. So it is electrification and hydrogen. So this has been the, the setting and somehow you can, you can see this reflected in the Fit for 55 uh, package. So from now, where do we go, let's say, when we take the next five years? Huh? Uh, we can already see some directions in, in, in the short term. And here, you know, uh, we were extremely happy that the parliament voted in favor of the Refuel uh, EU initiative. And now it's uh, to, to be voted by, by the council. There was a predominant majority for that. That shows a big political support for it. Of course, the work on the Refuel EU is not over. Uh, there are tasks uh, very important, uh, sometimes maybe less glamorous because, you know, when, when things are in co-decision, etc., everybody's talking about the, the initiative, but then the implementation, that's the difficult part. Huh? So, indeed, making sure that the targets that we've got in Refuel EU can be delivered on, uh, that sustainable aviation fuels can be delivered after a certain time to all European airports, that's key, uh, that's very important. We've got a number of reports that we need to be preparing from the Commission on book and claim, anti-tankering, also empowering consumers through environmental label to see what's the footprint of a flight. So, so environmental label, this is also something uh, in, in the pipeline. Then in the longer term, and this will no doubt be uh, present in, in, in the next Commission, is in indeed anticipating the, the needs of the future, both electrical hydrogen planes, so that's both in terms of the, the actual plane, but also in terms of the energy needs of airports. Huh? Because as we discussed recently with, 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 with Olivier also, I mean, the energy need of an airport today are nothing in comparison to what the airport will need in the future huh? when electrical planes are at the airport, uh, etc. So this is, this is the pathway. We are no doubt going to be busy the next commission. I would expect there's going to be less uh, less sort of focus on new initiatives, etc. more on implementation. Um, in the EU, we're always in this constant dialectic and improvement. So there's going to be definitely exchange with the industry, with, with airlines, with airports, 
to see where where does it need to fine tune things, etc. So that's what that's what we're heading. We're definitely not going to be uh, sitting back. Well, I think as you say, one of the trickiest things with aviation is that the technology is still as yet uncertain. We don't know where it's going, both with electric, with SAFs. It's hard to have a crystal ball for the regulatory framework, uh, but also at the same time, you don't want to be purely reactive, right, to technological developments. Um, so I, I wanted to go back to the airport carbon accreditation, which uh, several of you have, have brought up. Uh, Jakob, in terms of a new airport, so we were talking before about the, the differences between a, like a legacy airport and a brand new airport, that a brand new airport has exciting opportunities to do new things. Um, how important are certification programs like the airport carbon accreditation um, certification program specifically for new airports? Well, as, as, as I mentioned, that, that this is dedicated, I think, for the, for the, uh, for the existing airports because they have uh, a potentially much longer way to, to get uh, to, to be uh, net zero or to, to be less uh, impacting. Uh, in in our terms, this is this is a must, of course. But this is something we'll be looking at through the operations. We hope to design and through the BREAM the accreditation, we hope to get the the airport which already will have a minimal impact. And but it's like with the ISO standards, you you are improving every time you want to improve. So this is important, but I would say less crucial than for the existing airports. Mm. Not sure if. Yeah, I was going to ask Olivier. I, mean, I agree, and well. Olivier, we agree with that. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think surely. I mean, when you have a blank page to start, it's easier to to aim high. And Jakob has said already that they plan to actually become certified under the program at quite a high level already. Uh, for existing airports, of course, it's more difficult because you are carrying the legacy of an infrastructure that was built 20, 30 years ago. So decarbonizing that requires a lot of efforts. It requires time, it requires investment, and I think that's, that's the crucible here, you know, the make, making sure that moving forward uh, airports will have the ability to invest in decarbonization because we are now exiting the COVID crisis, which was unprecedented. Um, we are now getting the traffic back slowly to where it was. We hope to be fully recovering traffic levels across Europe next year, where they were before COVID. But as airports, uh, you know, we, we had 50 billion euro in foregone revenues over the past two years. Uh, we were able to keep operating and maintain the infrastructure by raising debt. And now we still carry a debt that is 47 billion higher than what it was pre-COVID. So our worry is that moving forward, actually, a, a, a bigger part of our revenues will have to be used to pay back the debt. And that means we'll have less money to invest. And, and you know the risk of that investment crunch and its impact on our ability to continue the decarbonization effort is very much a concern for us today. Well, as you note, Olivier, the, the, these are expensive investments, and right now airports don't have a lot of money because of the COVID crisis. There's two possible sources of funding there. There's national governments taking an interest in their legacy airports, talking specifically about those, and then also possibility of EU funding. Do you think there is enough interest at national level and EU level in retrofitting these older legacy airports, or do you think a lot of attention is being turned to, oh, let's just make a new airport? Uh, well, I think, I think there is definitely interest in retrofitting existing airports because actually in many countries, 
I mean, speaking quite honestly, there's not much appetite to develop airport infrastructure. We're seeing also what is happening in the Netherlands, where actually we have a country that used to be very pro-aviation, very in favor of developing air connectivity, mindful of the role of air connectivity for its economy, which is taking steps to actually cap uh, the level of airport capacity, and that's unprecedented. So in that context, clearly retrofitting is, I mean, this is the way to go. Um, but the problem is that we don't see governments willing to actually support airports, uh, uh, you know, financially by doing that. I think uh, it's been a long time now since uh, governments generally have, you know, pushed back from, from financing airports. They expect airports to, to be self-financing and they expect users to carry the burden of that. Uh, which, of course, sometimes creates difficult conversation with our friends, the <laughs> airlines, you know. But, uh, but I, I don't think we, we can expect, to be honest, to get a lot of financial public support from, from governments. Uh, we have some support from EU programs. And actually, the, the EU, I mean, the Commission is, is, is very flexible when it comes to state aid. So, uh, I mean, we, airports are now included in the new... Uh, stated guidelines for environment and energy that were adopted, I think, in January last mm -hmm, year. Mm -hmm. We were not in scope before. We are in scope now, which means that actually governments are free to, to finance if they want airports to decarbonize, but they're not doing it. That's the reality of it. Andrew, when airlines are partnering with airports, when they're choosing which airports <laughs> to use, how much do these sustainability factors factor in? Do you think they'll factor in more in the future? Uh, for instance, if an, if an airline had to pick between two different um, airports for a destination, for a hub, whatever, would they look more, would, they, would a, a zero emission airport be more attractive to the airline? That's an interesting question because there are a lot of factors that go into uh, an airline's choice of, of route network. Uh, and, and their choice of, of airports to fly to, right? It very much depends on the, the business model of the airline is one of the considerations. Uh, if, if you're a point-to-point -point operator, it's probably easier to, to choose which airport. Compared with if you're a network operator, you've got to add a new route into your network or, or rejig your existing network. So that always becomes more challenging. Um, so a lot of considerations go into where airlines choose to fly, based primarily on, on the demand that they see um, on that particular route. Um, ultimately, it's, it's a business, right? And, and so that's the, the primary um, consideration, I think. But, but increasingly, yes, sustainability across the industry value chain, you know, not just in the choice of airports, but in the choice of, of suppliers for, for the various inputs um, that, that an airline has. All, all of those things, the, the focus is shifting much more to the sustainability credentials of, of the, across the value chain of the, of the partners that airlines work with, uh, as well as their own operations. Um, it's, yeah, ab absolutely becoming a, a much more important issue uh, than if we were having this conversation 20 years ago. Robert, for LOTS, how important, for in terms of meeting LOTS own sustainable development goals, how important is choosing airport partners or choosing partners in general, as you mentioned, other suppliers? 
Uh, well, I share Andrew's point of view that, that uh, the first and foremost important thing is passengers' expectations, passengers' demand. So we need to take that initial into account. But, but uh, there is no simple rule of a thumb. Of course, there are situations, I can imagine situations in which some particular destination is being served, let's say, by two, three airports, not just one. And uh, ultimately, we, we might see some competition, and in this competition between these, of these airports, uh, environmental aspects might be might matter, might matter a lot. And and we airlines need to manage passengers' expectations. If passengers expect, expect it, uh, then of course we will be happy to meet these expectations. Our role is is uh, is to serve passengers' needs, serve economy needs. So we need to take that very seriously. We will be taking that seriously. Let's talk a bit about international agreements. That's a big part of aviation. As we've mentioned here, aviation is an international business. Uh, and that means that international institutions like the EU, like EATA, um, like international treaties are very important. Uh, Dominic, so the Commission's Transport Department, DG Move, plays a, a really central role in negotiating international agreements on behalf of the EU, uh, including those related to aviation emissions, safety standards, market access. How does DG Move incorporate sustainability principles in those negotiations as it's, mm -hmm. as it's conducting them? Yes, sure. I mean, whenever, I, I think, you know, sort of taking a step back, whenever we can uh, have a comprehensive agreement, an EU-level comprehensive agreement with our international partners, I think we can, we, can, we can see that there is an added value to bilateral agreements that member states uh, have with, uh, with these, um, uh, these third-country uh, third partners. I mean, these international EU-level agreements enable us to incorporate into the agreements to use to leverage our economic, our diplomatic, political strengths of the EU vis-à-vis -vis our international partners to ensure that in our agreements with them, we incorporate uh, competition levels, which are absolutely key for our European, uh, European uh, airports and allies to make sure that they can compete on a level playing field, that they're not being undercut by, by someone from a third, uh, third country. We can incorporate sustainability issues which is, again, making sure that we, all of us, globally meet the, the goal of decarbonization, yet it's a fair competition. Huh? It's not that Robert and he's, he's I need to pay more and then someone else in, uh, in the other side of the, of the world doesn't have to do that and, and they have to compete on the same, on the same, uh, on the same route, for, in, for instance. Huh? And third is also uh, social rights, huh? to make sure that our European standards and, and you know, the way we we, uh, our society expects that workers are being treated, etc., is also recognized in, in, in our international partners. So all of these elements are, of course, incorporated into the EU uh, agreements. But here, of course, you know, uh, uh, transport is a shared competence, huh? and it is not the choice of the Commission or DG Move with whom we're going to have the, the international agreement. Huh? Of course, it is for the, for the Council, for member states, to give us a mandate to negotiate it. And we can see that sometimes, well, there's, there's for, for some elements, maybe there's, for some countries, there maybe there's, there's appetite, for, for other countries, there's, there's, there's less appetite. Huh? And maybe member states sometimes like to or prefer to rely on bilateral uh, agreements. Of course, it always takes two to tango, so it's also our international partners that need to be interested in, in, in negotiations. But I think, you know, recent history shows that these international agreements are successful, they are bringing benefit for the European um, aviation market, and going forward, we very much hope that we can we can be expanding uh, expanding further, creating opportunities for our European airports and our European airlines uh, uh, globally, because it's it's a global business. Huh? 
Well, you allude to uh, a concern that's always there with international agreements, which is balancing sustainability principles with competitiveness mm -hmm. and not wanting to lose uh, a competitive edge to international partners because they face less regulation, less, uh, less hurdles. Olivier, this has been, I think, a particular concern with airports when it came to including aviation in the ETS. There was a concern that airlines would just bypass European airports. Um, this, this is always, because it's such an international business, right, this is always a concern that uh, airlines will just avoid EU regulation. Um, how do you think the EU has done in terms of getting that balance, right, between trying to push the sustainability agenda internationally but also safeguarding the competitiveness of European airports and European airlines? Well, I think, I think the EU has done quite a good job, certainly, in pushing the sustainability agenda and responding to political and societal pressure. Um, Europe is leading on this, and I think that's very good. Uh, this is something that, from the outside, we support very much as airports because um, of course, as I mentioned, we, we face a lot of pressure locally, increasingly. And uh, our license to grow was mentioned as something we need to earn. I think for now, actually, in many European countries, it's no longer about our license to grow, but actually about our license to keep operating. So we need to be ambitious. We need to chart a way forward. But in doing so, there's no question that we need to find the right balance in terms of maintaining our ability to compete globally. Um, uh, Dominic has said it, this is a global business, you know, airlines, airports comport on a global scale. And I think there we, we still have some way to go to strike the right balance. Um, Fit for 55 was very ambitious, rightly so, but it does come with some uh, risk in terms of the competitive position of European aviation, which have not yet fully been addressed, uh, clearly. Uh, I think Clearly, the, the evil is in the detail and the implementation. Uh, I think there's a lot we, we can do to try to, to get the balance a bit more right. Uh, and this is something, of course, we want to keep working with, with the Commission moving forward. But, um, I mean, to give you an example, we've, we've looked at the impact of Fit for 55 on European airports um, for direct flights. Uh, we see that potentially, because of the cost involved with implementing Fit for 55, to the airlines primarily, um, we will face an impact on demand. And that impact on demand will be anywhere between 8 to 20% reduction in demand for direct flights on the intra-European routes over time by 2050. Knowing that um, for us, the regional and smaller airports are going to be more impacted because of course the intra-European, they, they depend, they do mainly intra-European routes. And the full Monty of Fit for 55 is on intra-European routes. Uh, because if you fly from the EU externally, some of the measures of Fit 55 don't apply. Uh, so that means that we see also significant political and societal risk because, of course, you know, telling to those airports, those communities, you're going to see a reduction of demand of up to 20% compared to business as usual. Behind that, what you have is less opportunity, of course, to develop the economy to create jobs. Uh, and I think that's, that's something that worries us because airlines will be choosing their routes accordingly. So, for example, if an airline is flying from Charleroi to Larnaca in Cyprus, where you have the full Monty of Fit for 55 impacting the cost of travel, that airlines might think, well, actually, I'm not going to fly to Larnaca anymore. I'm going to fly to Urgada in Egypt 
to serve another leisure market where I don't get the full Monty of Fit for 55. Um, there are elements in Fit for 55 that allows to take that into consideration, like the Safala once mechanism, which allows airlines to still get emission rights free under the EU ETS, commensurate with the uplift of sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, but we, we need to figure out the details of that implementation, the exact scope and how it's going to work in practice and what is going to be the, the economic ability to redress that impact. Dominic, you wanted to respond? Yes, I, well, it's difficult to, to, to disagree, of course, with what Olivier said. It's indeed the striking the right balance. Huh? But I think you know, it's important to keep in mind also that our global international partners, it's not that they're not doing anything huh? and they're they not facing any cost. I think we can see that um, uh, while, of course, in Europe here we're at the very forefront, um, uh, when it comes to decarbonization and, and, and the climate agenda, which also gives us credibility in international uh, negotiations and international, international fora, um, because we can show how we, how we do things here. International partners are also doing it, uh, and we can see that happening either in, in Asia, we can see it happening uh, in America. So I think you know, they also face increasing costs. Uh, I think you know, then through the global outreach, we can make sure that there's a certain, there's a, cer that there's, there's a coordination on a global level. But I think Olivier also touched on a very important point, not to be forgotten, and this is definitely the, the balance to be and, and, and an aspect to be kept in mind, which is this uh, social and territorial cohesion. Uh, because I agree with you, the impact is, is more within the uh, EU than, than uh, on, on international flights, and, and, and there I think this is not disputed. And by all means, I think this is, this is important, and, and this is reflected in Fit for 55, and this will be something that would need to be on our minds constantly going forward, and we could see it's on, on minds of European uh, member states with the Barcelona declaration only from, from last week, that in a way, no territory of the EU and no person of the EU should be left behind. Huh? It's nice to be talking about decarbonization and taking the train from Brussels to, to Amsterdam when you live in Brussels, but if you live in northern Finland or you live in one of the Greek islands, that's a completely different story. Huh? And we need to keep that in mind to also make sure that we've got political, societal engagement and acceptance for that. Huh? Jakob, as a new airport that's supposed to be a hub, you must yes. be particularly concerned. Um, yeah, I, I need to disagree slightly that it is within the European Union, but because for the airport, like half, that when we have uh, half of the airport air flights uh, just a transition, mm. uh, our risk, if we overcook EU legislation, is risk that we push this transfer outside the European Union. So the flights from States to Asia will be landing somewhere outside Europe, not in, and will not bring economy to the Europe. And then that, that's a risk for us. Yeah, of course, that's something also I wanted to mention. I mean, there's the impact on direct intra-EU flights, but there's impact also on uh, transfer flights uh, via EU hubs compared to transfer flights via non-EU hubs. Absolutely. And there we do see an impact. I mean, the study we made with Oxera shows that potentially by 2050, you would see a reduction of demand for transfer flight at EU hubs of 9%. And, and corresponding increase uh, at non-EU hubs of transfer flight of 5% because the demand will shift to those, to those other routings. That's why it's so indeed important to be so strongly engaging on, on international fora with the long-term aspirational goal. Now we've got the, 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 the Sustainable Vision Fuel CAF uh, conference. So indeed, to make sure that the level playing field is, is as leveled as possible, huh? because because indeed, I mean, if you have a hub in a, in a neighboring country, there's absolutely nothing, and you have a sustainability cost, there's that risk, of course. Huh? But we can, I think, through 
engagement on the international fora, or also through these bilateral agreements between EU as a whole and, and other countries, we can make sure that this is this is leveled. Huh? Also, Corsia and other aspects. But but points taken. Yeah, first, Andrew, what's the airlines perspective here? Just very quickly, I, I mean, and I think the conversation has covered most of the relevant points here that we we wouldn't disagree too much with. You know, aviation is. Uh, a global industry and it's a very competitive industry. So to the extent that that the playing field um, shifts, then we can expect that there's going to be a response to that. And, and this is absolutely critical, you know, to understand some of the implications. Putting together um, policy in, in the sustainable field, we shouldn't underestimate how difficult that is, right? Because we often don't see some of the unintended consequences of, of what might happen. So, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't expect necessarily that we get policy right the first time. Right? But, but we, I think we need to be able to adjust and respond when, when we see that things aren't perhaps working out as, as they should. Um, the other point to make around uh, the, the regional uh, differences, certainly we need to try to, to look at those to ensure that they're, they're not happening. But sustainability is a global problem, right? and, and, I, and I think we need a global solution to that problem. And, it, and it's great that, that the EU is, is active, is taking that leadership role uh, in, in this field. Um, but just, just as we shouldn't leave anybody behind within Europe, we need to think about that on a global level as well. Right? And, and I know that's happening, right? but, but just to, to reinforce that point, um, that we need to have that, that kind of multilateral approach to solving this sustainability problem for uh, the aviation industry. Robert. On yeah. that, if, if I may, indeed, uh, we need to safeguard just and inclusive transition into, into green aviation. I think it is very important to, to not to undermine competitiveness of, of our uh, European aviation industry, to, to recognize its role in economy, and to safeguard its competitiveness against um, non-EU uh, airlines, airports, and, and uh, other, of the, other uh, stakeholders. In that vein, on, on the specific point of the ETS incentivizing flights to leave the EU, because then they wouldn't have the same requirements, is this something LOTS has noticed? Is this something, uh, would you agree with that characterization that it, it actually makes it easier if you want to operate a leisure flight to fly to Egypt rather than Cyprus? Well, as I indicated before, uh, predominantly it's, uh, it's related to passenger demand and interest of passengers, of our business partners, tour, tour operators. But if they realize that, that some destinations become more expensive, less affordable, then definitely it might, uh, it might drive their decisions, might, uh, it might impact indirectly on smaller demand. So there is a risk of, of, um, of, um, of lower, lower passenger numbers. There is a cost attached to, to, to green transition. We have to take that into account. So, so there might be implications. Andrew? Just very quickly, Dave. You know, one, one of the, the challenges with policy, often policies that are put forward have a relatively small impact, right? There might be a, a fee or a charge that, that maybe is a couple of euros here and there, right? And, and so we think that the marginal impact of that is going to be very small. It doesn't matter. It's not going to, to drive um, significant shifts in demand and change people's perceptions. Um, at the margin, we know that, that travellers are sensitive to price, so there will be some impact. But the other thing that, 
that we need to, to think about is that we need to look at the cumulative impact of these things because over a period of time, if we've put on five separate charges of, of two euro, that has a much bigger impact over that period than, than isolating the impact of one of those. So, so the cumulative effect of policy seen in that, that broader context rather than, than perhaps sometimes just focusing on, on the individual elements uh, separately uh, can, can also make a difference. Um, one, one point, and, and fully, fully taking on, on what my colleagues said here, of course, you know, and I'm not going to repeat how active we need to be on an international scale to, to address precisely this, but I think you know, it's also sometimes too important to zoom out while we're doing it. Huh? We're doing it because we're facing a, an existential threat of climate change. So I think you know, some, sometimes it's a bit like um, it, is, it is a necessity. We need to do that. We see that, okay, we, are we can be talking about demand shifts when, you know, price goes up here or there, whether someone will go to an airport in, 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 in one destination or another. But we can also see that there are six young children filing uh, a lawsuit against uh, some number of countries in Strasbourg now, you know, for, for, for the climate change. So we can see that there's a risk that certain demand will just evaporate. When, when, when climate uh, is not being addressed. I know it's very difficult to, to, to believe that now when, when demand is really steep and everybody wants to travel, but I think it's also important to keep that in mind, that this is the reason for this action, uh, that indeed mm -hmm. we, have, we are facing existential threat. And second thing, what I would like to mention, and is just that while indeed, and I'm not denying a certain cost impact as a result of, 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 of all of uh, we, we're doing here and, and the actions of the industry and, and as a result of regulation, but I think this is also an opportunity. We know how business cycles work and technological cycles work in aviation. I think every euro invested in sustainable aviation fuels today here in Europe, in production, in, in distribution of that, is something that would be benefiting us Europeans in the longer term, in terms of jobs, in terms of our resilience when it comes to rely, reliance on, on external uh, energy sources, etc. This is also something to be kept in mind. I mean, we saw in the presentation that, that Jakub delivered on, on CPK that you guys are teaming up with, with experts and from, from other parts of the world. I mean, you have also at the same time a unique opportunity now to develop your own ways of doing things. And then, you know, whenever in the future there's an, there, there's an airport built somewhere else, it is exporting that knowledge and benefiting that knowledge for the benefit of, of yourselves and, and of Europe. Huh? So this is also an opportunity. I think, you know, it's important when it comes to decarbonization and, and the fit for, 50, fit for 55 and the Green Deal in general to keep this broader perspective. Huh? Thank you. Well, we've had some interesting questions come in via Slido. They're all about the project, actually. So these will be questions for Jakob and Robert. So Jakob, first question for you comes from Chris Jones from the British Department of Transports in the UK. Is the intention for CPK to operate similarly to Schiphol in Amsterdam as a European hub for meetings where people arrive there, host meetings, and depart again right away? Or is it more to enable cross-modal travel to and from Poland and as, as well as across the country? Well, having the opportunity of building new new airport, we actually want to be a mix of both of that. We uh, talking to to lot. We were aiming to be, as I mentioned, fifty percent of the air passengers will be transfer passengers, but at the same time, being a multimodal hub will bring a lot of people by rail, and the rail station itself will not be just to bring people to the airport. One third of the travelers through through rail will just be uh, coming to the 
to 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 change to to the airplanes, but the two twelve two thirds will be traveling elsewhere around the Poland or uh, further away. And as I uh, shown in the presentation, the one of the three pillars is uh, Aerotropolis. It's the area around the uh, the airport and uh, with core airport city when we want to build uh, a place for people to meet for conference centers. So. And again, not only coming by the air, but also coming by rail, by, by buses. We, we want to reduce, of course, the, the car um, users for, for coming to, to the airport in that area. But the, this is, uh, so the answer is uh, both, actually. So you mentioned the high-speed rail connectivity going elsewhere in Poland, which leads me to the next very interesting question for Robert. Uh, this question is from Hans-Jochen Amer. Will the multimodal hub be the end of domestic flights in Poland? <laughs> well, first of all, we welcome uh, intermodality aspect, intermodal aspect of, of the new airport. We, we are happy that we will be able to expand our offer, propose to our passengers the, um, the wider variety of options to, to connect in Warsaw to, to trains, if they prefer. Uh, to to flights if if uh, if they are they value much more the time for perspective if they they are time uh, time sensitive for example so I think um, we will be happy to provide an option for every passenger um, if they value more time than 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 uh, the flights should be there of course um, of course we need to take into account the cost attached that that it it, it has to be. Um, there, there has to be cost attached to, to flying uh, domestic, and, and we, we understand that the policies will, will make it more expensive. Uh, but but uh, we are typically against um, um, just just banning the, the domestic flights. I think it's passengers who will be preferring rather the green uh, green uh, solution. While uh, if uh, if there is a room for for continuing domestic flights, then of course uh, we should provide both options. Just worth it to add it is that we're talking about the future of aviation, we're talking about the uh, nitrogen, we're talking about electric planes, but electric planes probably not for the long haul, but this domestic flights, it's, it's very possible, so there, there will be also alternative to be green, but still fly it locally. Definitely we have very high hopes that, that uh, the research development of new technologies might allow us to, to provide green solutions for flying for aviation in the future. Next, we have a, a skeptical question here about the need for the new airport, given that you already have Chopin in, in Warsaw, and I'm sure this is something you've heard before. So the question is from Sergio Carpano Neuschuler. Neuschuler sorry. Uh, good morning. Honestly, I cannot appreciate CPK sustainability out of climate and environment matters. How do you prevent competition with Warsaw's Chopin Airport? The EU has granted Poland many millions of euros to develop Chopin, and it is really hard to understand how the two airports can cohabitate. Well, they will not. Uh, <laughs> The, the idea is that we'll move uh, on the, let's say, day of opening, we move the, the whole uh, traffic from Chopin to the CPK airport. Uh, and being sustainable, I, it wasn't said by me, but I think it was in the movie, that at the moment Chopin impact, the noise from Chopin airport and the airplanes landing uh, there, impacting over 300 uh, inhabitants. And uh, that will be cut by 14 times for the new airport. So that, that's, that's a huge sustainable move uh, to, to take people, to take air, airfield from, from the city 
to, to the new location. Well, on that subject, then we have time for one last question, actually, for Dominic. Uh, that's come in uh, from Camille Mutreltz on that same subject Jakob was just talking about. How about air quality around airports and the non-CO2 effects of aviation? We know that there are technological solutions available, like hydro-treated kerosene with lower aromatic content. Could new European aviation fuel standards be a priority of the next commission? Um, thanks very much. A really interesting question. Indeed, uh, I mean, the focus of the last few years has been probably more on CO2 as the, 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 the climate gas and, and, and the, the, the threats. But indeed, we are looking more and more into non-CO2 aspects of, of fuel, etc., and, and also uh, what's happening to the environment around the airport. Um, so indeed, already within the, the ETS, there's a certain reporting of non-CO2 uh, aspects. But then going forward, indeed, there is going to be more research needed into non-CO2 for us to really fully understand the, the climate impact of non-CO2. And, and you know, then when we really fully understand the climate impact of, of non-CO2, how we, how we then target it. Huh? So I think definitely a very good question and something to, be to, to, to examine huh? and definitely something to be addressed in, in the coming years. Yeah, and we'll see, of course, when the new commission term starts. It depends. <laughs> we don't know who our next commission president will be, uh, but they will probably outline their intentions in that area at the beginning of the next term. I want to thank the panelists for some really interesting in interventions. How about a round of applause for them? Certainly a very hot topic and a really interesting area, I think, when, again, as I said at the beginning, so much of our focus about aviation's uh, CO2 emissions are uh, around the flights themselves, but actually it's a whole ecosystem flying, and airports play a really important role. So I want to thank those of you for joining us online, for spending your morning with us virtually, and also for those of you here in the room, I now invite you out for a little networking breakfast outside. Thanks a lot, and enjoy your day. Thank you.